0: Few weeks ago, I was away for the week. I decided to leave the country, get the hell out of Dodge, out of Joe Biden's America. Yeah, let, let me take a few steps back. The whole reason I wanted to leave was the the opening of the Buffalo Hofbra House, right? The German beers, the bratwurst on. Uh, who, who makes those rolls? At the sub rolls, oh, Constanza rolls. Yeah, the bratwurst on Constanza rolls. Oh. Well, anyway, I'm like, I, I got to see if this Buffalo Hofbra House is better or worse than the real thing. So I went all the way to Munich, Germany, for Oktoberfest. Oh, that's where you were. Yeah. We, were we were trying to figure it out. We're like, yeah. did, did Ryan run away? You were in my house in the snake pit <laughs> recording, and you had no idea where I was. Yeah,
1: it didn't, didn't which really is
0: fine. This is a community spot now. Didn't really phase. It belongs me. to the to the fine citizens of this county, and, and the Western New York region. Well, anyway, on the fence whether the Hofbrauhaus in Buffalo is better than the entire German Oktoberfest in Munich, but uh, you know, uh, it it was very, very good time. It's uh, it's basically like the Erie County Fair. They got rides, they got games, they've got like food vendors and everything, but they have big tents where people get extremely drunk from all around the world.
1: Did they have a, a German version of "I Got It"? I think they did. Yes.
0: Oh, wow, and they've got this this bar if you're tired of beer and you need like a cocktail or or wine, there was this one bar it was rotating in a tent, so <laughs> hopefully you haven't had that much to drink because you might get a little dizzy on that baby
1: Germans are they're of hardy stock they can they can handle the spins much better than Americans can I feel.
0: I went all the way to Germany and you know my wife and i we were, we were hungry one night and I was surprised to find saw Burger King saw McDonald's I couldn't find any wings anywhere. I was really. I was really no hankering for Buffalo Wings. No wings in Germany. No. So what the hell? Another thing that they look down upon, tap water. You you are a complete piece of shit if you drink water out of a tap in Germany. <laughs> Most people drink out of a bottle, like they're glass bottles at least, they're not wasting the plastic, but uh, they like the they like the fizzy water. And if you if you order still water, you're like, I guess that's okay. You drink out of a tap, what are you a monster? It was so weird. And you know what they say about German drinking water? What do they What do they say about that? That it's beer. That it's beer. beer. (laughs) That's
1: all we got. That's the show. Ryan's review of Oktoberfest. What would you give it a letter grade?
0: Uh, Well, no, I'll give it a. I'll give it an eight out of ten. Eight out of 10 schnitzels. And the only reason it doesn't get a full 10 out of 10 is because it was cold and rainy the entire time I was there. Mm. We did a little day trip to Salzburg, the birthplace of Mozart, and the, the setting of uh, Sound of Music. That was a very nice little town. It's like a Christmas wonderland already. I think they're prepared for Christmas all year round. Oh, it's like that Dave's Christmas store out in West Seneca, <laughs> but like a whole city? No, it's it's a little, I would say a little classier than that, Yeah. Really. Oh. I, I, don't knock Dave's. Dave, Dave's is cool. No, I will. I will give. You no, know, he's got his own little Christmas. Dave's
1: got his own little Christmas nook all year long.
0: Well, I got a bone to pick with that place because don't they? Isn't there like Christmas tree store that's their front on like Niagara Falls Boulevard or wherever? The, the Christmas tree shop. Okay, and it's and it's shop with two p's and an e at the end. Mm. You know that kind of fucking bullshit. <laughs> well, well. Anyway, I went in there. I'm like, certainly I can find those small candy canes. To give out to to my you know kids in my family, certainly I can find those small candy canes at the Christmas tree shop, Papa. Shop, papa. And I could not find them there. They had a whole bunch of other shit that wasn't Christmas related, but no candy canes. This
1: is the problem: categorical error. You went to the Christmas tree shop. You oh. didn't go to the
0: Christmas candy shop. Okay.
1: You didn't go to the. You, you could have went to the supermarket and gotten those.
0: Yeah, another uh, holiday related thing. I guess there was there was a. Pumpkin from Buffalo, a local pumpkin that beat the biggest pumpkin record at uh, over 2600 pounds. twenty six hundred pounds.
1: 2,600 pounds.
0: And and I got actually I'm a little pissed about this because when I gain weight, that doesn't make the news. And I'm really good at it. If you were bigger than the biggest pumpkin, Ryan, that it, would I'm definitely
1: that would definitely make the news. I'm getting there. If you became the size of you know the biggest pumpkin in America, I. Mm-hmm. I, I would have you on the news. All right, we appreciate, talk about appreciate you. That. Well, enough pumpkin talk. It is it is spooky season though.
0: Ooh. Are you
1: are you are you are you October? Are you Halloween people? Jason, are you a, are you a Halloween guy? Are you a spooky season person?
0: No, nope, not at all. I, I will say that I'm a fall guy, I like the changing of the leaves, I like the apple shit and the pumpkin flavored shit <laughs> um if i if i if I were to be a Halloween guy, I don't like the spooky, scary Halloween. I like the cute, scary Halloween, and I like you know the sexy Halloween. I like to dress up in leather and go out and like you know show- show off my figure my twenty five hundred pound figure so here's my gripe with Halloween nowadays, and I like
1: Halloween. I think it's fun yeah, it is fun but but much not the scary bloody stuff, but much. And by the way, we're talking about Christmas here. The Christmas creep is something that I've hated for oh. years. You know, there's a time, there's a reason that we have the seasons spread out like we do. That you know, Christmas is in December, and I don't want to listen to Christmas music before December first. Right. And honestly, I, you're right. I, I'm fine with Christmas music just that week of Christmas. Mm-hmm. But Christmas creep is well documented. However, we have entered a intrepid new era of Halloween creep. People are talking about Halloween and spooky season in, like, fucking July. Get over it. Come on. Really, July? You've seen, I, you've seen I, it I saw it people. July? I saw people, like, in July. That's insane. Definitely August talking about, oh, can't wait till it's the fall. Can't oh, it's spooky my God. Season. And it's like, dude, let me enjoy my summer. I don't want to hear about that shit. I don't want to hear about Halloween. Yes. It's, um... You know, until it's Halloween. And now it's Halloween time. It is now. Fine. You can just started yesterday. You can do your thing Halloween here. My gripes aside, we are here at the square. To not talk about just Halloween. We could, but we won't. Because we have a we have a duty to you, the listener. We have Locked and Loaded in the Snake Pit. Jason Knight. What's up, man?
2: Not much, man. How are you?
0: Dude, You know, the the dark night um, of Kenmore. I don't know. (laughs) Right now. Yeah. (laughs) Do you?
2: About to be. Yeah. We got to talk like this, Jason.
0: Yeah. We lit up a a spotlight. You came running over.
2: Yep. Here I am. Uh Where is she? He said pizza and beer. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the Macy's?
1: (laughs) Yes. We got Jason Uh Knight on with us today. Uh, Jim out of town out and uh, hanging out with Angus, the shape-shifting badger. That's right, out, uh, yeah, over in Maine. Yep, hmm But uh, no, we're talking with Jason here today. And boy, howdy, do we have a lot on the docket this week. So I want to start, Jason, with this story we were talking about earlier today. Actually, this involves some friends of mine who will remain unnamed. They value their privacy. But they did report it. It ended up going into the, I want to say Channel 2 reported on it. But the story here is it involves a little bit about housing. It involves a little bit about police negligence. It it involves a dead body. So spooky season, buckle up here, all right? So I'm going to give the report that that we have from a friend of the pod and a friend of mine here. So basically, the Buffalo police showed up. I'm sorry. the, The Buffalo police were called to a vacant house that has been known for drugs has been known for squatters vagrants what have you they were called this house with a report of an unresponsive person they showed up at the scene left and said they would come back they did not after eight days <laughs> eight days of whatever odors and stench and whatever a dead yeah, did, body can did they have
0: to go back to the police station and, like think about what to do is that what they, they were? They, were, they clearly didn't drop the ball. They had a game
1: plan. Right. Yeah. They had to figure out what to do. You're right. Yeah. No. Eight days later, with the neighbors complaining, like, what the fuck is that smell? Although they know full well at this point what it probably is. They call the police again. Um, they came and said they'd be back. Never came back. So, yeah, they get the call for the dead body. Multiple 311-911 calls on Arkansas Street. I think they pronounce it Arkansas over there. I've heard weirdly. Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas our, our Street. Um, so yeah, the police show up eight days later, get, get the body and fuck me, man. Cause I guess the police had gotten on their um, gotten a megaphone shouted, Hey, we need you to evacuate the property. Knew the person was unresponsive and then just left without taking any action without getting an ambulance. So what do we make of this guys? I mean, obviously we have uh, a negligent enough landlord to let this, our Kansas street property go into neglect but also like what the fuck BPD. I know the police and, and we, we call for more public resources all the time that are not just police. You know, police is like, it's like a hammer and nail situation. You know, they're the hammer they, you only have one tool. If you only have a hammer, everything's a nail. And so the police, oftentimes we know, well, everything seems to look like a nail, but the truth is public services require a lot of different tools that we don't really have at our uh, disposal here because the funding is not there. So we do end up asking the police to be a lot of different things, drug counselors, family, marriage counselors, crisis counselors sometimes, jobs that these people are not equipped to do or they shouldn't be put in a position to do. And yet, and yet, if you have a call about a body, uh, an unresponsive body, now the person may have been dead from the initial call. But may not have been. I'm sorry, like the basic function of your job, shortinger's body. <laughs> was it dead uh, before the smell? Mm-hmm. But uh, no, look, I mean, I mean again, I know they're busy. I know there's a lot of fucking crime, but there's a goddamn dead body. Like you owe, at the very least, you owe the people of that neighborhood, yeah, uh, you know, the the respect and the decency to to move that. So I don't know what to make of this other than it's just a fucking calamity.
0: Oh, I mean, what were they? Was it was it avoiding a bunch of paperwork? I mean, clearly it was laziness, at least. Um, it was definitely a lack of humanity, at most. But just a ca- a callous move on their part. Um, if they don't want to do it, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, there's there's someone else who can. Maybe we can pay someone else who will, like do the jobs they don't want to do. I don't know. I'm not sure how to fix something like that.
2: Who identified the body as being? Unresponsive. The person being unresponsive. Did the did, did a neighbor go in and, and find someone, or did the cops actually engage directly in some sort of interpersonal communication with this person, that or did know. they just sit in their car and yell from a megaphone and that was policing? Mm. You know I mean, like, did they actually see the person? That's the question.
1: So on night, so on nine thirteen, the cops were called due to a man lying naked and unresponsive in one of the vacant houses. So whether or not. You know, the cops had found him. or I, I, I'm assuming that somebody may, might have walked by and saw, you know, a naked man passed out in this vacant house.
0: Um, the cops came and spoke through their loudspeaker, instructing the yeah. man to leave. You ever go through for a walk at night and, and you're not being a creeper, but you just want to see look inside someone's window and see, just see how their house is decorated? You think it was something like that? You're watching for porn, Ryan. I know you, <laughs> disgusting pervert. No, no I'm, looking, see if they're watching I'm looking for decoration tips. Yeah. Interior design thing, yeah. I want to see, what, what yeah, the, the, complete, trends are. the
2: complete lack of information on what the cops actually did on scene the first time, yeah, leaves a lot of questions. Yeah, who the
0: hell knows? Yeah, it seems like there's covering, yeah. covering up something.
1: Well, and we were talking before the show, Jason, and you made a great point. Like, don't they have any kind of system to track these calls? Like, you were called to you know, one two three Arkansas, Arkansas, Arkansas Street about an unresponsive person. Is there any way for them to follow up? Is there any notes that hey we were called here over a week ago? Is there any way to track any of this data that it's it's not rocket science, like this is shit that, you know, a lot of entities do that you could track like, hey, we responded to this, here's our notes on it. Mm-hmm. Some type of ticketing system, right? Right. Yeah. Simple enough. And yet, and yet here we are.
2: Yeah, but how about the, just the point that the person was unresponsive and they thought that shouting through a megaphone to someone who was unresponsive would elicit enough response to the point where they were comfortable enough just leaving.
0: Right.
1: Well, I was just going to say my understanding of the situation is that, um, again, this house, and there's many houses on the street that are that are vacant, unfortunately, and are, are prone to squatters and are prone to vagrants coming in and they had received multiple reports about this house and about activities happening there. So this is not... I would have to imagine this isn't the first time they came to that street for this kind of thing. They probably thought either, hey, the guy will just sleep it off and wake up and go on his way, or probably more callously that, well, it's less fucking paperwork for us to do if he dies.
2: You yeah, know, I mean, there is some something to be said for on behalf of the, the cops too. I mean if you if you've dealt with that apartment multiple times and you've dealt with this person multiple times and you're and you know every single time that you go there the guy is off his rocker and you're like, all right, let's just do the bare minimum here and I know we'll be back tomorrow. Right? You're just into yeah. that sort of groundhog day response Yeah. Day over day over day over yeah. day over day. I mean I have friends and family that are they're cops. It's not necessarily um a fun or easy job but they you do get in that rut right where you're just like okay we're gonna go back to this same house this same address this same person we've been here for six months straight and you know the one time that you do it and this is what ends like it so it just speaks to the broader need for a better way to respond to this stuff mm-hmm. right i mean cops responding to to unresponsive people and just leaving the scene is i don't know it just seems inhuman to me
1: Yeah. And in this story, the the cops, you know, whoever responded initially and just dropped the fucking ball on this. I mean, they are certainly a bad guy in the story, but you're right. The infrastructure that we have in place to not follow up on an unresponsive body after days worth, uh, the person said the neighbors had all made numerous calls to nine one one and to three one one about the unresponsive person. And then the smell of the dead body in their neighborhood. And like you know, maybe it's the police that go out and check it. Maybe there's some other entity that follows up on it. Like, what the fuck is the three one one line for then? You know, if if you're gonna not respond after a week, what is that for? What are you, what are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm just still stuck on the unresponsive point. If I called the cops where I live and said my neighbor's unresponsive in the house, they're going in the house. Yeah. They're going in the house and they're gonna directly interact with that person yeah. and they're gonna be followed. Pretty rapidly by EMT in fire. Yep. And so, to me, like, what kind of system do we have in place where someone who's unresponsive is in in potentially in a crisis situation is just left there? That that's what boggles my mind the most.
1: Well, don't worry, gentlemen. In the near future, we won't ever have to worry about vacant houses again in the city of Buffalo. No,
0: there's a fix for that. I've got some
1: great news for you here. Uh, we have a Lancaster developer. Are you,
0: are you in real estate now, Re? We,
1: we've got Jason on. You know, I, I, Jason decided to go full heel turn with me. We're oh, going okay. we're gonna, to we're gonna cash in, <laughs> baby. It's time. You know, this, this leftist politics stuff is all fun and games, yeah. but it doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. It doesn't buy you a big swimming pool. It doesn't get you a lot of houses. We're, we're going to figure out how to uh, cash in like this Lancaster developer here. So, the Buffalo News. Lancaster developer chosen to build... Single-family homes on Adams Street. What what are we making about these three hundred thousand dollars houses that are supposed to be popping up on the uh, the east side of Buffalo, Jason?
2: Well, I mean, there's an endless sort of number of questions that that one should have about um, about building single-family um, units in a city. First of all, um, if cities are entities that benefit from in historically have always benefited from density that comes from multifamily units. Um, building suburban-style single-family units with the, by combining or merging multiple lots undercuts the city's ability to benefit from the increased density that makes most cities most efficient. So there's that question. The other question is, who is buying a $300,000 house? On Adams Street in the city of Buffalo,
0: I don't. I don't think it's to the local community. Anyone there?
2: Well, if it's not, then how do you convince someone who's has that fiscal ability to buy a three hundred thousand dollar house in a census tract that has twenty percent vacancy, um, that has nine hundred and fifteen vacant residential lots and over a hundred vacant commercial lots, has more vacant lots than it has residential structures? How do you convince someone who makes relatively decent salary that when they go out and look in the marketplace across this region and they see $300,000 houses available in multiple municipalities and school districts loaded with amenities, how do you convince them that that neighborhood is the one to move into? Mm -hmm. That's the question. And if you do that and you you offer those people some level of subsidy to buy those units, The question I have is what long-term prospect does that person have in gaining equity in that unit, in that neighborhood, under current conditions in the city of Buffalo, which is there is absolutely zero vacant lot strategy in that city. There's 13,000 vacant residential lots in the city of Buffalo. There's no neighborhood level plans in the city of Buffalo. There's absolutely no housing strategy that's effective in the city of Buffalo. There's there's a neighborhood, uh, there's a housing opportunity strategy that, that Charles Buki's firm did, which I, I, lo- I love his work. I, I love Charles. I think he's he's one of the best. Um, but you, you don't have any justification for that level of investment in a neighborhood where there's absolutely no signs that the city has a plan for what happens tomorrow. Yeah.
1: So what do we make of this? Because they say here that they only drew four submissions. So this highly competitive program that they want and you know we we laud uh, Severin development for the developers who who won out on this. Uh, but they drew only four submissions and just two from the Buffalo Niagara region. So I mean wh- like, help me help me work make sense of all this cuz something does not smell right about this. And maybe that's just my inherent skepticism, but this seems like it's a a small crowd of developers and they probably wanted it to be a small group and they wanted, they might've had somebody in mind to do this and they're going to bank off this. I mean, you're the housing guy, Jason, help me, disabuse me of that notion if I'm wrong.
2: Well, it's a market condition, right? I mean, at at the end of the day, when you look again, to my point, when you look around this region, no one has to live on that street. No one has to live on Adams street in the city of Buffalo. So any developer worth, SALT will do a market analysis to understand what the competition is for a $300,000 house, right? And so your two local bidders, if I'm not mistaken, one was Habitat, which tells me they were probably going to do lower cost, affordable housing, homeownership opportunities. And then you have this private sector, single family market rate developer, and then you have two out-of-towners, right? Who, you know, for better or worse, probably don't know the market very well. Um, When you have the vast majority of your housing construction market avoid this opportunity which clearly comes with some level of subsidy attached to it, it should tell you in a housing market where we're told constantly um, demand is far outpacing supply um, if all the builders didn't line up for the opportunity it tells me that the market doesn't bear fruit for them.
1: Well, and and so Brendan Mahaffey in this article here said that uh, they'd received some feedback that the, um, some developers indicated that they would have submitted proposals if the program were structured differently. And I, and I'm just wondering, like, this all seems, it seems just kind of weird that again, I'm, I'm with you. I know the market kind of dictates, you know, would there be, uh, do, do there have to be homes on Adam street? No, but is the market there for it? Well, maybe. And obviously the city wants to create the conditions for that to be so. Um, but I mean, what, What's going on? Because look, we want we're we're propell- we don't want vacant lots. I don't want fucking vacant lots no. in the city of Buffalo. I live in the city of Buffalo. Um and yet I also don't want three three hundred thousand dollar single family homes in areas that are historically economically depressed. Um so I think there needs to be a happy, happy medium, and I understand the market is quite volatile and you know it's it's hard to encourage anything without having some kind of externalities I get all that but what I'm wondering is like what the fuck is the city doing here that they created such a small pool of people to do this they're, say, they're saying they announced it they're saying they put the word out there whatever I just question how this is all structured for like why would you want it? why would developers want to get on this unless there was a kind of sweetheart deal in the background.
2: Yeah, it's probably you know there's, there's a lot of things going on here. I mean, the, I did see the RFP when it came out, so I know it was public. Um, it, w- it was out there, uh, so that's so there's no, I don't think any uh, sort of sleight of hand on on the, the on that part of it. I, I you know I don't have a full cost accounting of what is happening here, so I you know my understanding is, and then I would guess that a lot is the significant subsidy in this in this whole thing um lots of city controlled or or passed through the land bank um so that can help drive down the price but we're, we're never really told who's going to end up acquiring these houses and if if the houses are market rate at $300,000 that's a tough sell um in that neighborhood now if they're $300,000 construction costs so that's kind of what the construction cost is but then there's going to be a some sort of subsidy for First time home buyers or low modern income home buyers um, opportunity, then that might make sense. But that, if I recall, the paper didn't really lay that out. Right. So, right. And, and it did tell us, you know, there's a pretty substantial commitment from one of the local banks. Was it Evans Bank? Maybe. Yep. Of yep. course, of course it was Evans Bank. So, so Evan, <laughs> Evans Bank, you know, classic redlining, um, yeah. local bank. Um, so they basically have to do this. So basically when you start putting all these things together, none of it really suggests really strategic, um, Decisions as it relates to how you address housing in your community. Um, you know, there there might be some strategy on the city's part. There, if I recall, there's a there's a new multi-unit structure on the corner of Adams and Genesee. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe the city feels like they're trying to build some uh, some some density uh, focused cluster uh, development in that space. Um, but again, when you you know, the, the median household income in that census tract is $22,000 a year. So if you wanted to buy a $300,000 house and not be burdened by high cost of your monthly mortgage, you got to make about $70,000 a year, right? So that's over three times what the current median household income is. So again, it brings me back to the same point. Who living outside of that census tract, making that kind of money, is going to choose a $300,000 house in the east side on Adam Street, literally a stone's throw from the 33 over any other $300,000 house anywhere in this region? That's the question. And if we're not talking market rate, which, you know, I have no reason to believe that they're affordable because it wasn't really stated. But if we're talking market rate, that's, again, it's still a massively tough sell.
1: For sure. Well, you brought up the land bank. Uh, and and that that also, funny enough, has been in the news lately. Yeah. Land, ba- the bank where you go get
2: land, as maybe I understand that, it's that's right. It's a place we're going to bank some land.
0: One, one land, so please. So you, you walk in with a wheelbarrow of dirt. Yes. Right. I
2: like to convert this to land. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I need it gains like, interest over time. Yeah. It's like crypto.
2: Yeah. I want to convert this crypto token to that crypto token. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so for the listeners who are maybe they know about the land bank, maybe they know a little bit about the land bank, but they like some to expand their base of knowledge. So Jason Knight, we're calling on you, uh, Professor Knight. What is the land bank? Please explain to the class.
2: So uh, this comes with a giant sort of caveat, and that is I was heavily involved in forming that entity um, at my time um, in Erie County in 2012 and 2013. Um, So I probably know a little bit too much about land banking Mm -hmm. for the average person to really... Care about. Um, it was also a significant chap It was such a fundamentally fascinating um, experience understanding vacancy, tax delinquency, and the tax foreclosure process that it became a, a large chapter of my dissertation. So um, it did. It did capture a lot of my initial attention. A um, land bank is essentially a in New York State a public authority. Um, that has the powers granted to it by the state land bank law that allows it to acquire and dispose of uh, vacant, abandoned, distressed properties. Um, And it has one key, as I was talking with you guys earlier, it has one key tool that local governments do not have, and that is the ability to strike to itself any property that's up for auction for the value of the back taxes. So essentially, the land bank can go to any tax foreclosure auction within its jurisdiction. So in our case, it's Erie County as a whole. Any of the tax foreclosure auctions, which would be either a Erie County tax foreclosure auction, the city of Buffalo, city of Lackawanna, or city of Tonawanna, it can go there and literally when a property comes up for auction, the city or the county could start that auction for the exact value of the back taxes. So say it's $15,000. The land bank can simply raise a ten and say, we'll take it for $15,000. And it cuts off every single other bidder um, from from acquiring that property. Now, that works really, really well in many cases um, when there's no bidders, right? So the, the land bank can just take properties that fall through the market, the tax delinquency, um you know, when you have tax delinquent properties, in most cases, really indicative of weak markets. Um, so they were designed to take those properties in the weakest markets, and uh, yeah, and so that's how they work.
1: And and rehab them, right? Like, so the idea well,
2: is—I mean, it, they're a bank. I mean, yeah. they're they're called a land bank for a reason. It's because historically they were developed um, and implemented at the state level um, to take properties that the market has given up on, and so you basically are the holder of the worst of the worst properties that the market has essentially said, we don't want it. And, and municipalities, you know, just have, don't have the bandwidth to, to manage vacant and abandoned land. So, um, they were seen as a, uh, as a holding spot for, for these properties until a time arrives when that property m- has value to either the municipality, um, for read So like the Adam street projects, for example, um, or that the market has turned around and the properties are for sale. They could also do rehab. They could take a vacant building and rehab it and, you know, work with community partners for that too. So, um, But essentially they are really, in many cases, if you look across the country out of the land banks, they are a bank. They do hold land
1: well from the buffalo news article here it says here the uh, buffalo erie niagara land improvement corp has long enjoyed its good guy status better known as the land bank the agency works with area communities to buy vacant land and abandoned homes in foreclosure fix them up and sell them and yada yada about whatever happy homeowners pose with sold signs in front of new and rehabbed houses that were once unlivable um local officials join land bank oh whatever the land bank People like it. But um, with demand for real estate soaring and the land bank's ability to get first crack at foreclosed properties, like you said, Jason, at a steeper discount than anyone else, a majority of Erie County legislators have taken a rare bipartisan stance against the land bank. They say it shouldn't have the right to buy derelict homes and vacant land at foreclosure auctions without at least paying all the back taxes owed. So... Are they are they paying all the back taxes, taxes, or are they not?
2: Uh, they they pay the back taxes, but there is a sort of primary or or pre auction agreement that um, the land bank will get some revenue from from the the process. So whatever that process ends up being, right? They take the property and they hold it, which they don't do actually. If you look at our land bank, if I, as far as and I haven't checked in a while, so it's, I mean I could be speaking out of turn. They don't hold property. That's not really what they're after. Um so the the opportunity to turn properties over to, to what, you know, euphemistically sort of called productive reuse. Um is kind of what the land bank is, is is more about. Um the there is money paid back to the municipality. The argument should be looked at maybe the other way, which is um, you know, legislators might want to think about when the land bank takes that property, reinvests in it, that the tax Return for the municipalities, the county, the school districts, is greater over time than when it was before the land bank took it. So, um, so it's a lot of, you know, I think it's a lot of political hubris, and and I also think a lot of political, um, I would say, ignorance. Uh, I, I don't think every legislator really understands. Legislator really understands the inc- intricacies of 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 delinquency um, auctions, the land market, the housing market, I think it's just a convenient way to kind of bitch moan and complain about something that, uh, when you look at it on the whole, it's not perfect. Um, but, but the way the rest of the business and the function of, of local government in and around tax delinquency and and tax liens and auctions, um, is probably way worse in my opinion than the way that, um, the land bank operates.
1: I mean, reading between the lines here and correct me if I'm wrong, because again, you are the housing expert, um, certainly of the square podcast and, and likely the housing expert, I would say for pretty much anybody with two brain cells here in Erie County, Jason, you and you and rusty. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read beh- uh, between the lines on this and I see it's a, a, rare bipartisan moment for the legislature to have, um, you know, this opposition to the land bank. And I just wonder to myself, well, geez, you have this entity that can purchase properties and pretty much cut in line in front of everybody else, including, Uh, pretty much any one of those developers who might want to gobble up those properties on the cheap. And I wondered to myself, man, are these elected officials getting a lot of heat from the developers who are across the board saying, you know, this is, this is cutting into the margins here, April Baskin. This is cutting into the margins, Joe Larigo. Am I wrong?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's the cynical tact I would take, but I would also look at it to the extent of the, the number of properties the land bank actually acquires and, and the number of developers that get cut off. Um, the people that are buying properties that the land, the people that want properties that the land bank might acquire at the auction are just a different flipper, right? They're not our big boy developers. Um, you know, the, the, one of the land bank's first projects was was a house um, in the village of Kenmore, otherwise amazing street. And the land bank went and took the worst property on the street because they knew they could make money on it and they would have a win, Mm-hmm. Um so they're so,
0: focusing on these areas where there's there's a high return for people. Yeah, yeah, a few they're not people. yeah, they're not rolling the not dice for the community. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. not rolling the right. dice
2: on uh you know, they're not doing what Syracuse does, which is take all right. the garbage and just hold it. You know, they're they want to make money. What well, um, what's
0: the numbers difference between Syracuse and Buffalo you're mentioning that?
2: I would say if I had to guess, I would say thousands more properties wow. taken by Syracuse than by Buffalo. Wow. By in in the, the the magnitude of the 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 benefit at in Syracuse because they're strategic. So you know what Syracuse has done is they've gobbled up properties in the city of Syracuse in, in big chunks. So they've done what the city of Buffalo refuses to do, which is think strategically, acquire property, and focus your effort on a specific geography and try to fix it. What Buffalo historically has always done is Bullshit piecemeal podium planning, which is let's do a project, let's announce the shit out of it, let's have the newspaper cover it mm. till t- t- it's absolutely dead, and then when we the shovel hits the ground the first day. Let's get the gold shovels out and get the media back out again. And when the buildings are ready to be sold, let's get the media out there again and cut the and cut a ribbon. And then let's come back when the moving trucks roll the new the first family into those houses. There's no strategy there. There's just political strategy. Yeah. Syracuse never came at it that way. Syracuse's approach was: we need to recognize that we can be catalytic because we are the entity that has the opportunity and the capacity and the bandwidth to basically go into the city and take up large swaths of vacant land. And start thinking strategically about how we fix this. Buffalo has not done that at all. Now, and let me just say this. I have a former student who works at the Land Bank. I like Jocelyn, who's the executive director of the Land Bank. I think when they when they their work is good work, I'm just saying it can the scope and scale of that work should have been a lot higher than it is. Right. Um, the effort should have been a lot more focused, and unfortunately, um, the land bank has too long too short of a leash on it to really be effective.
1: Yeah. And I'm just wondering, and I mean, I I hear you and I I am inclined to agree, you know, based on what you laid out. But I I do question the contention that, oh, somehow the land bank not getting back enough back taxes owed. Because I, I think to myself, these are distressed properties that would probably not be purchased. Although the land bank, is a bank. So it's not like they're, like you said, it's not like they're gobbling up all the properties, not just vacuuming all the distressed properties. They're strategic in the ones they pick out. Mm-hmm. They're going to be profitable. So I guess there is an element of, okay, perhaps if somebody else were to purchase this, they would also pay the back taxes in in full. And then they would also generate you know more equity, like if a private developer did that. But at the same time, I mean, some of these places you have to think that's the only way they're going to get back taxes ever paid. Yeah. Like the land bank is the only way that the, you know, the municipality is going to get that money back the County. So I, I just, it's bullshit to me. I, I think that a lot of times that they're not going to fucking, nobody's going to buy some of these properties. Those back tax are just going to sit there and, well,
2: yeah, I, th- I think, you know, at the end of the day, if, if the Joe Larigos of the world, cared to do any homework at all and really looked at the taxes that they are actually losing, their target would actually be the office of real property tax services in Erie County and not the land bank. You have, when we formed the land bank, we did an analysis of tax liens in the County. There were 77,776 liens. So every year is a lien. So that meant, you know, ultimately there was 77,000 years of back taxes, you know, individual Mm -hmm. liens. Well, when you broke it down and you counted up the liens per parcel, you got to about 20,000 parcels that had multiple years of tax liens on them. And when you whittled it down, you had 10,000 parcels across the county that were foreclosure eligible, which meant they had three years of back taxes. So once you have three years of back taxes, you can be foreclosed upon. Well, guess what? Guess how many of those 10,000 properties the county was... Uh, foreclosing on every single year, about 300 to 400 properties. So essentially, if they want to complain about unfair tax collection process and procedure, then they should be complaining to themselves because they are the ones that set the procedure that cuts off real property tax services' ability to foreclose on all of them. Um, It's not efficient, effective, or equitable to do tax foreclosure the way the county does it. If you're a property tax owner in, in Erie County, a property owner in your County and you pay your taxes on time every single year, it's not equitable that somebody five doors down from you um, has seven years of back taxes and the county doesn't have the money to foreclose on it because they, they hire a private attorney to do the foreclosure. It's about 14, well, last I knew it was about $1,400 per foreclosure. So they only have so much money to do that. So how is that fair Right, so if Lorigo and Barnesi want to complain about fairness in the land bank, they're talking about a very small handful of properties every single year, and ignoring the fact that the county fails to foreclose on thousands of properties every single year, and it foregoes taxes every single year. So maybe it should do its own homework and stop bitching <laughs> about the fucking land bank and figure out what's going <laughs> yeah, on at County Hall.
0: Tell them, yeah, yeah. Wow. So
2: frustrating. I mean, like yeah. I said, I spent, I spent an entire year writing this into a dissertation and it, it just frustrate the hell out of me. Yeah. You know, and I, my point was the County needs to go in and clear the deck. It basically has to go in and do, like, there's, there was a property, two doors right around the corner from me in the city of Tanawanda, a commercial property at 200, $150,000 in back taxes on it. Holy shit. And it was an operating business. Wow. So wow, when you kidding. look, when you look <laughs> at, when you look at the County's tax roll, and you look at those properties with the big numbers attached to them, now remember there's, the county also tax on 18% interest. So they're worse than a predatory credit card company. They have, they can, so they can, so when you look at the big, the big properties that are owed back taxes, it's usually businesses. So they treat businesses differently than homeowners or it's like factories and other things that are dirty and they don't want the obligation and the bullshit that comes to clean them up. But at the end of the day, the county is as bad of a cherry picker as anyone. They When they foreclose, they go to Clarence and Orchard Park, and they pick the best properties they know are going to get sold at the auction. Yeah. And if you're a property that's in a marginal neighborhood, um, they're just going to let that property rot, and then that's a negative influence on your neighborhood, right? Yeah. So where's the fairness and equity in that? It just frustrates me when I have to listen to politicians um, talk out of turn. And, and literally, I'm not saying they don't do good work as as legislators, but they're way out of they're way out of line on this one. Mm-hmm. Agreed.
1: Well, speaking of politicians, perhaps being way out of line, <laughs> your favorite Republican gubernatorial candidate and mine, the legend, the legend of Lee Zeldin. Uh, not not quite so legendary right now, gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> um. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> with about a month month and a half out, yeah. only. It, 36% of New York voters have ever I'm no, sorry. Thirty-six no, no, no. Yeah. percent of
0: New Yorkers have never heard of Lee Heldin. Right, right, right. So 36% of New Yorkers have no idea who the fuck the guy is. So He's been a politician. He's been a politician in the state for a while. You know, he's a
1: guy. He's yeah, he's, he's a guy. just he's just a guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't really move the needle other than having a, a funny name that sounds like a video game that I like. it <laughs> uh, <laughs> doesn't doesn't really do it for me yeah. in in any, any way shape or form. Uh very He's a weird, I mean, look, I don't like to comment on people's appearance, but he looks like, he it's looks, okay if you're punching up, it, it looks like a, like an animation from a video game that they didn't speak in video games. They didn't quite complete, but <laughs> they didn't finish rendering Jesus. Lee Zeldin. Is that right? Uh, yeah. And, and he looks like he's missing a few sprites. I, I uh-huh. they might have to patch Lee Zeldin. In he's the a glitch. Update. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They'll have to, they'll have to patch him in, in the update. Um, But no, Lee Zeldin. Not doing so hot. He's got so, n-
0: nothing but darkness in his eyes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's they really gotta fix the eye yeah, color. Yeah, and, you yeah, know. Yeah.
1: But uh he, he's pulling the classic Republican politician move, which you know, again, you only have one note, guys, you gotta play it. Yeah, I guess so. Crime. Mm-hmm.
2: Crime is bad,
1: and there's more of it everywhere. Black people are in your neighborhood.
0: I mean, he's already operating at, at, at a deficit with the whole abortion issue. That's definitely, I mean, he's in a blue state anyway, but any chance he had at winning as, as governor, that's gone, right? So I think, yeah, this is a Hail Mary pass, right?
1: It, it, so so I'm referring to uh, an advertisement, which Ryan right. showed me before the show here. Uh-huh. Um, again, your typical crime is on Rampant, on the rise,
0: in your state, in your home. Yeah, major dog whistle bullshit.
1: And it's uh, surveillance video footage of, you know, crimes happening in cities. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Something I saw on Twitter.
0: Very selective videos, by the way.
1: Something I saw on Twitter. It's all Kathy Hochul's
0: fault.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course. Yeah, right.
1: Something I saw on Twitter the other day that made me laugh quite a bit. It's like, the most masculine thing you can do in 2022 is to be scared shitless to go into cities. (laughs) Which which yeah. is like the conservative uh you know position yeah. du jour like oh my god the city and this started with san francisco i think san francisco yeah. was the canary in the coal mine for this line of attack that oh my god the city is just
0: falling apart and there's crime everywhere and i just had this imagery in my head that kathy Hokel is like at the head of the table the legion of doom in some swamp somewhere she's got all these criminals she's like let's do crime today boy let's let's really do it like do you think that's what's happening, and they're like let's make let's make suburbans and rural people scared to come into the cities? That's the I, assertion here right uh, right right, I, I mean, mean it's so cartoonish
1: you know history history doesn't uh, necessarily repeat itself repeats itself, but it does rhyme quite a bit and mm-hmm. and I do think of like yeah. i do think of the nineteen seventies um for this where again, like we're talking about abortion, you know roe v wade uh had passed around that time, and like mm-hmm. I know it's a whole different landscape then, but I, I do remember that often and not for nothing, yeah, you know, a lot of American cities were in, in bad shape, especially New York City around oh, yeah. that time. Um, much like today, many of the cities are plagued by homelessness and, and there is some element of crime. Grant you I think it's inherent with the cities, um, just the nature of cities being so densely populated, there's gonna be more crime, of course. But Again, crime is at its nadir. It's like cr- crime in America is at one of its lowest points that we've ever seen, and yet
0: we still have this mm-hmm. line of attack coming. This is the the drum that we are banging. Um, so it's it's ticked up a little bit, I guess. Homicides ticked up during the pandemic. They're down. N- nonviolent crimes, I guess, are up a little bit now. It's like I don't know. I or something with society that. Is causing people to lose their shit. Probably, I can't imagine what that would be. But who's to say? Yeah, who's to say?
1: <laughs> Who who's to say what yeah. cause uh-huh. a, a, a fucking nationwide panic? Yeah, right now can't imagine. No, but I mean, again, you're going to see more of this. You're going to continue to hear the Lee Zeldins of the world um, just say, you know, crimes, oh, tut tut tutting about how bad the cities are and. You know, how how much crime is on the rise in Joe Biden's America, in Kathy Hochul's New York State. And, yeah,
0: and it, it's, it's just crazy to me. It's it, so scare tactics, right? What's the solution for crime? You know, is he going to build RoboCops? I don't know. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's
1: <laughs> there is no solution. It, it's right. it's we want more policing. Right. And again, like whatever. Say, say what you will about policing and about the nature of police this goes back to the story we talked about at the top of the hour here. Uh, the police don't have the capability to do all these jobs that you want them to do. They end up being the Swiss army knife for things that they were never trained on, um, never equipped to do. And, and we were talking before the show, Jason, like here in Western New York, uh, in Erie County, um, we rolled back requirements for police officers, even though they had fucking lines out the door for, taking the officer's exams and the testing what are we doing here like the the republican party is clearly saying hey we want more cops we are saying we're making it easier than ever to get cops there's a lot of people that want to be cops what i i I don't understand um i don't know i didn't understand that that we're rolling back requirements i don't understand that what the republicans are, are aiming for here like lee zeldin it's just pure scary black people stuff. Willie, shades of Willie Horton. Right, right.
2: But Hokel's out there doing the same shit, right? I mean, she's out there talking about, you know, investing in more cops and more law enforcement strategies and program whatever she's talking about. She's she's towing the same exact line too. He's just trying to differentiate himself a little bit more um, aggressively, I think. I mean she is towed up to the line between Democrat and Republican as they get. You know what I mean? She's yeah. she's uh she's one Ingrown toenail away from being over the line, right? So I mean, (laughs) at the end of the day, she's doing all of these things, and he's saying, "Yeah, we got to address crime," and even she's doing it, right? So, like from
0: from a political perspective, look what the you know the police turned their back on De Blasio in New York. Yeah, we see what happened in our city with the marrow race, right? So I'm I'm sure there's a political calculation with that too, right? Yeah.
2: So she's she's taking the political calculus that um, she has to at least. Appear willing to acquiesce to that part of her own party um, it feels like crime is a, is a challenge. So, of course, she's listening to him be absolute, absolutely maniacal about it, and going, "Well, you know, I can be a little bit more rational because I, I hold the, I have, I have the policy purse strings here right now, so I can literally invest in these things to cut him off." Right, so I, like I'm doing this stuff because you say I'm soft on crime, but here I am doing these things, right? And so what does he do? He pretends that she's not doing any of these things, and he's like, ah, we're Kathy Hochul's New York, right? <laughs> it's like, well, she's saying she's recognized there's challenges and we need to address them, so we're gonna do that, right? So, but he has to pretend like. Like you were saying, like oh, we're, got. We're, that she has her Monday morning planning meeting in the basement of some you know gulag somewhere, and says, <laughs> "Hey, you know what, guys? Today I bought you sledgehammers, and there's a jewelry shop. Yeah. You know that video that's on the Zeldin thing. Like we, this is what we're going to attack today.
0: Yeah, let her rip. Here come the yellow school buses. going. Yeah, right so up. it's like, yeah,
2: it. The campaign season is the, the worst. I mean, politics are bad wall to wall, but but campaign season, election season is absolutely mind-numbingly. Atrocious of yeah. uh, example of humanity in this country. It's 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 unbearable. I can't wait till no, the 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 Wednesday after <laughs> till it's all over. It's the worst.
1: Well, and for on Kathy Hochul's part, like you mentioned, Ryan, you know she's banging the drum on abortion. That Lee Elden yep. is a Republican, the party that you know, took away your abortion rights here in America, justifiably so. You know why? Why not? I mean. One, it's abysmal, terrible. You know you know how we feel here at the Square Podcast about abortion and abortion rights. Um, so, you know, that's that's the tune that she's playing and will likely be extremely successful um, doing so. But yeah, it's it's just funny, man. Like, there seems to be a lack of imagination. I, I, I don't know. Like, political imagination. Like, give me something different. This is the same goddamn shit that we've heard for like 30, 40, 50 years. Give me something different. New dude, yeah. this is this is terrible. Like the the Republicans right now are, I mean, I would say nationally, but even like just in New York State alone, they're they're
0: pretty stagnant. It's uh, you know, it's all social war bullshit, right? It's all reactionary. There's nothing. There's nothing of substance
2: there anymore. And no one runs. A, you know, I've I've said it a million times about you look at the hyper local political campaign you know in a small like a village of kenmore where we are i think we yeah i think we're in kenmore right yeah i should know i'm a geographer right <laughs> yep. um, oh, yeah um, and you look at where i live in the city of tonawanda um what, what you tend to get is absolutely visionless political campaigning and you get palm cards that read like social biographies So I am a member of the VFW. I taught in the school building district for 30 years. I'm a member of fill in the blank. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's nothing there. It's about telling you how you're embedded in the community. It's not really telling you that you have any policy chops. There's no vision there. The vision then if it seeps into the local or even the sort of regional is on the big trophy issues right so it's basically you know this side is economic development and jobs and this side is you know whatever so you just create you once you rise up that sort of electoral geography it just becomes the wedge issues and so each party accepts their it's from my perspective each party accepts their predetermined political campaign strategy and they run with it right so you don't get vision and you don't get strategy if if you're not running Who's going to step out of line in in one of these communities and run on a on a on a fresh idea, right? Mm. So just like it's just big, generic shit. We yep. got to address poverty. We got to address jobs. We got to right. address crime. And it's like, well, great. How though? We know that. Like you're not telling us anything we don't know. Like we're not morons here, right? We know what our issues are.
0: Well, sp- well speak for yourself. Yeah. I, I might be. But, I, I mean, I'm average... literally a Ken moron. <laughs> <you know>? Yeah.
2: <laughs> but the average the average person knows or thinks they know. I guess <laughs> so, kind of what. What is, matters to them, right? right. And so, um, if you're tackling an issue that needs to be repaired, where's the strategy? It can't just be we're going to fix it, right? Because you need to have something you can implement. And if if that doesn't exist, where's the incentive to vote for that person? Well, it doesn't really exist because we do the blue no matter who, right? Or the you know red all the time. So it it just becomes. I think we're just ground down in this political arena in this country where everybody's knows who they're always going to vote for. It's just sports. It's just sports. Yeah. So we're vote. We're, we're going to always vote for the bills and we're always going to vote for the Sabres and we hate the Patriots and we hate the Bruins. Right. I mean, that's the extent of, (laughs) that's the extent of the way that people think about their elections. And I've said it recently to some students and, and even, I don't even know who I was talking to recently about it, but like we need a rational unifier. Like we need somebody who's like, what the fuck are we doing in this country? And why are we doing things this way? And can't we do better? And it can't just be, well, you know, we're the military anti-crime party yeah. and we're the, you know, socialism, progressive, whatever party. Like, it's, that just doesn't work. It just keeps us stagnant, I guess is the point.
1: Well, the local Republican Party, the Erie County Republicans, are hoping to inject a little bit of vitality into their party. Oh, we had, that's right. Yes, we had the election of a new Erie County GOP chairman. He, they they you know recently had an opening for it they were a kind of adrift for a while i jim would know jim is the you know our our, our man on the beat on the <laughs> on the committees and on the chair people and whatnot but i actually know the gentleman who won the, uh, the erie county gop uh election mike cracker uh crocker k-r-a-c-k-e-r uh 34 years old i many moons ago Worked with him. He was a member of the Republicans. I worked with... He'll turn warning. He'll turn
0: warning. I worked he'll with
1: turn Mickey, warning. Mickey, <laughs> Mickey Kearns. Um, I worked on the Mickey Kearns election for Assembly the Republicans. <laughs> um, I mean, he won. Yeah, <laughs> hey, well, so? Not for nothing, Mickey Kearns did win that election. Um, because uh, and, of you? Uh, because, well, of course, because of me. Who else? But also, I think, you know, uh, young Master Crocker here might have a little feather in his cap from that. But uh, from what Jim uh diamond jim had reported from the front or at least his sources it was a bit of a bloodbath inter an internecine battle in the republican party which hey they don't usually do that sort of thing they they usually are like pretty fall in line you know next man up we we have an order of operations Mm here so what
0: does that tell you well here's the deal i'm not the i'm not the politics guy here
1: here's the scoop on this so crocker had to beat out um boston chairman mitch martin who was in charge of the john garcia campaign for sheriff which you know that was a coup Uh, that was a big deal for the republicans you may say it was a bit of an own goal by the democrats and i wouldn't blame you um jeremy zeldin who has somehow this is so fucking hilarious to me by the way just as a sidebar like jeremy zeldin no challenge just gets to jeremy zeldin jeremy zeldin fuck me (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: I, uh Jeremy Whoa, Zeld- might as well be. Jeremy's yeah, Jeremy Zellman. I going to start calling him for now <laughs> Jeremy Zellner. Zell-Nuts. Zellnuts. you know him by Zellnuts. Zellnuts. Jeremy yeah. Zellner. Who comically botched um, the Buffalo Mayor's race, the sheriff's race. I mean, pick your poison. The only thing that you could truly attribute to him is perhaps, perhaps Missy Hartman winning the Democratic primary like like m- m- maybe maybe but Jeremy Zelnuts no challenge zilch nothing of substance anyway he's you know coronated again as the Erie County Democratic chair meanwhile they're fighting tooth and nail over on the republican side um now crocker is a langworthy guy he's you know very much in the vein of i i don't want to say moderate gop because i think that at the end of the day, in order to be in the modern Republican Party, you will say and do pretty much the most insane bullshit.
0: Relatively speaking, moderate, right? I,
1: I would, you know, what I would say, as I'd say, savvy. Okay. I would say okay. savvier. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know Mitch Martin necessarily, so I can't comment on him one way or the other. But I will say what I know about Crocker is he's a realist. He's a savvy guy. He will, again. You know, being in the Nick Langworthy mold, I think that he will probably be pretty adept as a chairperson. But I mean, fuck me, man! You know, when you got Jeremy Zelnuts on the other side uh, playing chess with you there, <laughs> I, I, I I might I might pay, play a couple pieces down and still feel pretty confident. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh yeah no, it, it's interesting to see that there was a a big fight uh, on the Republican side and. I mean, Mike Crocker, we'll see what, what he's got in the tank for the Republicans, but it's going to be tough. I mean, we know, look, the Democrats always are own, just fucking owning themselves. They can't help it. They can't help it trip all over their fucking yeah. shoes every time they do something, but they seem to have the ace in the hole of abortion rights, the overturn of, of Roe versus Wade. That really, what might've once been a coup for the Republicans in, on a national level, um, In the midterms, like it was slated at one point for the midterms to be a bloodbath for the Republicans trending with Joe Biden um, at one point being, you know, highly unpopular. Now, I think we've seen a turn on the national level. And I think that trickles down even to the county and, and, you know, local races. So that being said, Crocker has got a um, tall order. Again, I I, on a personal level is just a guy that I know. I think he's a nice enough guy. Am I saying that I condone any of the bullshit that he's probably going to put out there for the Republican Party? No. No. But I, I will tell you that a lot of the... Unless you get paid. Unless I get paid. And Crocker, if you're listening, get me on your payroll. We will turn so <laughs> fast. Right. We, we will become... We, we will, will become... We will start talking about how bad crime is in Buffalo. Crime? Oh, crime! Have you heard so about bad. crime? You heard about this? Mm-hmm. The vacant houses? <laughs> we got to knock them all down. No, but we'll we'll you know we'll, we'll keep an eye. Obviously, we're gonna. I mean, we're probably gonna shit on him too. So this is my last bit of saying that he's a decent guy, and and you know you're the fucking chair of the Erie County r- local dipshit. So congratulations, Mike. Um, that's all. I think that's all we got for this week, gentlemen.
0: What do you got, Jason? Anything uh, to leave you, off on? Uh, you no. promoting anything? You got any uh, anything coming in?
2: No irons no. in the fire. No, no. Uh, just. Doing the same old grind, you know. Uh, lots of teaching, a little bit of research, trying to do some stuff on trying to uncover the, the connection between the city's foreclosure auction and in out of town investors in the city of Buffalo. So I'm trying to do some uh, some data cleaning and data analysis around around that question. Um, that's about it. Rusty and I, uh, it's got a housing project out in Seneca County uh, that we've been we just sort of kicked off. So we're trying to get our heads wrapped around their, their problems out there, which are same sort of issues, you know, short-term, short-term rentals, Airbnb's kind of taking over a, a real small market of, yeah. you know, a county about 33,000 people where, you know, properties that get sold or getting flipped and, you know, work or work from homes becoming a challenge for, for, for these small communities. Cause people want those amenities, right. They want to, who doesn't want to work in the Finger Lakes, you know, with a lakeside place and it was really cheap. You left New York city. So um, yeah, let trying to answer some of the same questions we've, We've historically looked at here in this in the city of Buffalo, um, yeah, that's about it. I think, Reid, your point was sort of the ending point. I think is important. I, you know, I said to somebody once that you could like somebody and disagree with their policies. I think that's an important thing to to recognize. Um, you know, I, I've come across a lot of people in in Western New York that work in in planning and public policy, and I like them as people, um, but I recognize they're one cog in a in a system. Um, that I might not like. I might not like the policies and the outcomes and and maybe even some of the goals and objectives. Um, You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of great planners in the city of Buffalo and and the Office of Strategic Planning who who do great work, but they don't get to make the calls, you know. Um, There's a lot of great people at the Land Bank. They don't get to make those calls. So, um, you know, a lot of times we, we run into rank and file people that, that are doing the work on the ground. And, um, if you get, talk to them candidly, they'll, they'll mostly agree with your criticism of, of a lot of the things that we're, we talk about, you guys talk about on this podcast, um, the work that Rusty and I do, you know, they're just a, a tool really. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate. Um, and you know, we even meet, you know, you meet some politicians and you, you cross paths with, with people like Mickey. And, um, you know, I was appointed by, by Mark to, to work in the County and, um, and Maria White too. And I I think they're, they're generally good people, Um, but I don't love all their politics and that's okay. I think if you can't have a healthy debate with somebody, even in your own party about policies and, and debate them and, and criticize or critique them, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, you guys know me from, from my work um, and and my crankiness on Twitter. It's a lot (laughs) of it's just, you know um, you know, we, we have to, you can't just drink the Kool-Aid. Sometimes you got to look at the, you got to dig into the system and really understand how it is we arrive at these things. Um, and when you see policy that you know from your own work and research is going to amount to absolutely nothing, then you have to be willing to speak out about it. Um, and I think one of the things that, you know, sort of leave this conversation with is, you know, people like Rusty and I, and you know, I think we, we have a little bit of targets on our back sometimes. Um, we know that. Um, but, but one of the values we always felt like being in quote unquote academics for whatever that's worth is, um, is that so-called academic freedom, right? To, to look at stuff, um, and understand it and be analytical about it. And our work is never, and my work is never intentionally aimed at a person that's aimed at that person's politics. And I think that's an important differentiation Mm -hmm. to kind of make.
1: Well said. Thank you, Jason Knight, for joining us here at the Square. Uh, we can find your. Do you want to put your social media up there? Was it? It's at,
2: Jason Knight PhD on Twitter. On Twitter, yeah. yep, at Twitter. I have no other. You will not find me any other place. <laughs> Jason's
1: a good follow. Yeah. Uh, we love his crankiness around oh Twitter. Oh yes, love it. So, thanks for joining us this weekend, and uh, yeah, we'll see you again soon.
2: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.